Hello and welcome to the East Baltimore Graffiti Church's podcast. We are so excited to have you join us today. If you have any questions or comments, please email us at ebgraffitichurch at gmail.com. Or you can check us out on our website at ebgraffitichurch.org. You can turn in your Bibles with me to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. Father God, this morning we thank you for the truth of your word. God, I pray that you will convict us, encourage us, inspire us, teach us, Lord God, grow us into who you are calling us to be as we study your word, as we study this church in Ephesus, Lord God, and what you are teaching us from your inspired word, Lord God, about how to better serve you and love others and be a church. So this morning we thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So I've titled this morning's message, Before and After, Before and After. Last week, Jalen preached. Uh, I read his his sermon that he shared with you. I am certain that you heard the gospel last week. Uh, Great sermon. Jalen, thank you for preaching last week. And Paul, um, in this letter, he said that you were, we were all prior to knowing Jesus Christ, spiritually dead. As a matter of fact, he uses some words in verses 1 through 10 that you heard last week. He uses some of those same words um, in this passage that we're going to study this morning. And so he said, one, he said in verse 2, in which you formerly walked. He uses this word walk throughout the book of Ephesians. And um, the Greek meaning of this word is pretty cool that it's kind of like... the sphere in which you live. So if I walk here, so later he's going to say, walk in love, do not walk in darkness. Um, He's saying in verse 2, this is how you used to walk. So he said, this was your lifestyle. This is where you lived and moved around. So he said, you were dead in your trespasses and sins, and that used to be your life. That used to be how you live. And he uses some words. Verse 3, he says it again. Among them, we too all formerly formerly lived in the lust of our flesh. So certainly he's talking to these Ephesian believers and he's reminding them of who they used to be. And you heard a good sermon last week, um, um, but God, right? You were dead in your trespasses and sins. You and I, we were sons and daughters of disobedience. This is how we used to live, but God, right? So God, who is rich in mercy and grace, saved us, saved you, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ. I'm not going to re-preach that. But what happens here is, in verse 11, Paul says, therefore remember. And so the therefore, the therefore literally means Um, So, as a result of what you just heard. So, as a result of what I just said, Paul, Paul said in 1 through 10, he said, as a result of that, you, the Gentiles, you were called the uncircumcision by the so-called circumcision. Now, you know, in the Old Testament, circumcision was a sign of the covenant. And so, when uh, it was part of the covenant with Abraham, and it was how you were identified uh, as a Jew, a part of the covenant relationship with God as, as a child in the nation of Israel. And um, 
if I need to explain circumcision to you, I'll do it after the service. Uh, I won't do it right now. But, but it was just a sign of the covenant, right? And so um, he says here in verses 11 and 12, there are five things that we should remember. Uh, he's talking to the Ephesian church, but also in the inspired word of God, right? God is speaking to us through the apostle Paul as well. So there's five things. Verse 12, he says it again. Remember at that time you were, and he says there are five things. And um, hmm. have you have you ever been or are you a part of a group, like a group of people or a team or an organization? Think about that organization or that group that you're a part of. Um, what does it take to get into that group? So like I'm a part of, um, I openly share that I am a person in recovery from addiction. So I, I freely move around in groups like AA and NA, go to a meeting, we celebrate recovery here, although we're not currently meeting. Um, think about a group that you might have been a part of or that you're a part of. What does it take to be part of that group? How does one join your group? And what are the barriers, what are the barriers to others um, that prevent them from being part of your group? Now, maybe my example of some of the groups I'm in are, is, is maybe not the most ideal example, right? <laughs> uh, but what, um, what do the barriers look like? Um, have you ever experienced barriers in your life to being part of a group? You felt like you were left on the outside. You were excluded. Could have been because of your race, your ethnicity. Could, be because, could have been because of your religion or the lack thereof. How about economic barriers? You ever feel like you couldn't be part of a group, whether it was spoken or unspoken, because of your lack of resources or what you wore to school when you were a kid and what all the cool kids were wearing and, you know, maybe you weren't part of that group. See, this is how the Jews treated the Gentiles, right? Now, I always define this. How many of you have a Jewish mom and a Jewish dad? Okay, we're all Gentiles here. <laughs> We're all Gentiles here. We're non-Jewish people here. And I say that because the Jewish people treated Gentiles with a certain disdain. As a matter of fact, that's putting it mildly. It was more like contempt. And the words that we're going to talk about here in a few minutes will be like hostility and enmity. It is contempt or hatred. So I will say this. Um, and, and we do speak about these things. I, I try to speak about them um, thoughtfully and not just off the cuff. But um, you know what? As a Caucasian person, I grew up and lived and moved. I walked, had my lifestyle, my peripateo, um, in the group in which, you know, the places I went and the things I did, most of the people I was with looked like me. So coming to Baltimore eight years ago, living in a city that is almost 70% African-American and living in a community that is 94% African-American, my wife and I have had the privilege of a very unique experience in our lives. And I have often told you, and I really mean it, I would not trade it for the world. 
last night I came out about 10 o'clock to walk the dogs. And there were about 25 or 30 young adults on the sidewalk. And none of them looked like me. And I had a choice about how I was going to feel about that. I said, this is my neighborhood. I live here. These are just young men and women out having fun. And so I took the dogs out and I didn't stay out and hang out with them because they were doing things I don't do anymore. But, but, but I did greet them, spoke to a couple of youngins, and I thought, you know what? This is what it means to live and move somewhere where I don't look like everyone else. Now, I will tell you that most of my experience, and I'm taking a moment with this this morning, I know I am, most of my experience in Midway and Barclay on Greenmount Avenue, most of my experience has been very positive. And even though I look different than most of my neighbors, I've been treated with um, a whole lot of kindness, thoughtfulness, and love. Occasionally a little curiosity. But, uh, but I say that because the Jews treated Gentiles with a certain contempt and hostility. And I read, and um, I know that many of you, um, particularly those of you of a certain age, if you are African-American, I know, and uh, you probably have experienced exclusion, adversity, and separation, um, and treated poorly by others because you were not part of a certain group. You may not have looked like everyone else on your job, or maybe people made assumptions about who you were or how you lived because of what you look like. So here, what is going on in the Ephesian church has a lot to do with ethnicity, and it has a lot to do with religious superiority, and even some to do with um, economic superiority. So there are five things. There are five things here. One, he tells the Gentiles, remember, he says that at that time you were separate from Christ. So you were separated from Christ. Now, if we go back to last week, right, we all have been separated from Christ, but he's speaking to these Gentile believers specifically, right? So he says you were separated from Christ. You didn't have a relationship with God. You were separated. We're all, we share that in common prior to knowing Jesus as our Savior, right? He says you were excluded. Now, when he tells them they were excluded, Paul was a Jew of the Jews, right? Paul circumcised on the eighth day from the right tribe, born to the right parents. Paul could go into the temple with his chest poked out, right? But God humbled him, changed him, saved him, and then sent Paul to preach to the Gentiles, right? He sent Paul to preach to the people that Paul used to persecute. He sent Paul to preach to the people that Paul used to hate, right? So Paul says, at this time, guys, you were separated, you were excluded, you were out on the outside. The Jews had certain privileges uh, in, their, in their covenant relationship with God, in their national relationship with God, Without getting too nerdy on you, Israel was a theocracy, right? So all of their laws and everything they did had to do with their religion. There was no separation of church and state. They were a theocracy. Everything they did revolved around their religion, their government, and everything, right? So he said, you Gentiles, you were on the outside. You lived life differently, and we don't like you. We didn't like you. You were excluded. Now, what were they excluded from? Number three, it says you had no rights or privileges. No rights or privileges. You know, um, when I used to go to Planet Fitness, I could pay $10 a month and go up to Planet, 
Planet Fitness on Valera Road, or I could pay $20 a month and I could go to Planet Fitness anywhere in the United States of America. I, pro I promise you, I never set foot in any other Planet Fitness except the one on Blair Road, right? But I paid $20 a month because, it, because I could go to Planet Fitness anywhere in the United States of America. I was excited about that, right? Never went. That's the only one I ever went. I won't even go there now, right? Paul says you had no rights or privileges. You, don't, you didn't have the access that the Jews had to God. You didn't have the privilege of... Um, of the Jewish community. You didn't have the privileges of land, seed, and blessing. God promised the Jews a land that they would perpetually have forever. He promised them he would make their nation like the, like the sand on the beach or the stars in the sky, and that they would always have God's blessing on them. And so Paul says, you had no rights or privileges. Number four, and this one, uh, he says, you guys, you, you Gentiles, you were hopeless. You were hopeless. Let's talk about hope for a minute. You know? Believers in the Old Testament as well as the New Testament have an eager expectation of the future as they trust in the outworking of God's plan. It was an objective hope based on the promises of God. Because the Gentiles did not have Israel's privilege of good of God's revelation, they had nothing to look forward to. They had no expectation that God would work in their lives. I've seen that hope has been, at a Greek word for hope, elpis in the New Testament, not Elvis, elpis. Um, hope is a serious thing. Hope is a serious thing. I've seen this in recovery. Um, and um, I even saw this Friday, a young lady came in, she was hurting, she was obviously in active addiction. And when Diane asked her if she wanted, if she wanted recovery or if she wanted help, she said yes. So we got her something. Diane got her something to eat, prayed for, her, talked to her. But when it came time to get in the car, when it came time to get in the car, she she couldn't she couldn't get from the foyer to the car. She lost hope. She didn't think she could do it. She was scared. Sometimes, sometimes. And some of you have experienced this, and maybe even in other areas, your experience might be very different than mine. Sometimes we lose a little bit of hope. We get discouraged. Something bad happens. We think we can't fix it. We think someone doesn't love us anymore. Well, that's a big one, actually. But, but you can lose a little bit of hope, right? You can say, oh, man, how am I going to bounce back from losing my job, right? But sometimes people lose a whole lot of hope. And sometimes when people lose a whole lot of hope, they want to quit. And sometimes when people want to quit, they say, I don't care if I live till tomorrow. Now, some people will go and they will actively pursue that, but others will just live hope and they will passively do things that show that they don't care or at that moment they've lost so much hope that they just don't care if they live till the next day. And, and I see folks in that situation in active addiction and, and, and when I do, I, I, I always want to offer them a word of hope. So you say, well, pastor, you pray for them, and they went right back out the door and got hot. Maybe, but for that 10 or 15 minutes they were in here, they got a little bit of love, a little bit of care, a little bit of hope, and when they want some more, they know where to come. Amen? But you see, you may have experienced this in your life as well. You may not be um, a person who was addicted or in recovery from drugs or alcohol, 
but you may wrestle with depression. You may wrestle with anger. You may wrestle, wrestle with a true hatred for someone or a group of people. You may just wrestle with life. And you say, some days I just don't want to get up out of the bed and do anything. So Paul's telling the Gentiles here, you had no hope because you were separated from God. You're excluded from the promises of Israel. You have no rights or privileges. That one hurt too because I think I read history or, or I watch a movie because I'm lazy or I listen to the stories of senior adult Christians and African-Americans. There's a lady, she's passed away now in my former church. I had to interview two American heroes and then I had to write this. I had to produce this interview for one of my classes in college. And one of my classes, and I, I mean, one of my heroes was an African-American lady in my church of all places at Bayside Baptist Church in Chesapeake Beach, Maryland. And she had become a marine biologist at a time when women weren't even really encouraged to go to college and where most black women had nowhere to go to college. She went to, and I think I'm gonna get it right if I still remember correctly, to VCU, Virginia Commonwealth University, because that's where um, black students could go to college and that's where black women could go to college. And then she got um, a graduate degree. She became a marine biologist and ended up working for the Smithsonian. She traveled all over the world, had an illustrious career. She loved Jesus. She was not a plaything. And when she told me her story, she's a tough, this was a tough woman, tough woman, uh, Mrs. Mrs. Annette Fung. And she was a tough woman and, um, and her husband was no joke either. But I think of, I think of what she had to endure regarding not having rights or privileges or being excluded from certain things. And yet, um, because of Jesus in her life and whatever else God gave her, she overcame. She overcame. And she, uh, to me, was a hero. My other hero was a Vietnam War veteran who, and I had to tell that story another time, but I got to interview some cool people. But, but to be hopeless, right? Some of us, we get to that point and we cry out for help. Praise God that someone, he provides someone to help us, right? And some, some of us are struggling because we haven't gotten to that point yet. But Paul says, though, so he says, you're separated, excluded. You have no rights or privileges. You are hopeless and you're without God. This idea of without God is atheos. And I'm not showing off, I promise. It's literally, it's without God, theos, God, right? It's, it's so atheos, without God. That's where we get our word atheist from. Our English word atheist comes from that. So he says, you Gentiles, you are without God. I mean, that's, that's pretty serious, right? He says, but, but, and so this gets good here in verses 13 through 18, because there are, some, there are some good things that did happen. He said, this is who you used to be, right? So when Jalen preached last week, he got the good one. He got verse four, but God, right? I'm sure he did it, but I told you I want to grow up. I'm going to be a black preacher someday. And, but Jalen got the good sermon. He got, but God, right? So, so, but here now in verse 13, but now in Christ Jesus. See, so Paul's at it again. Paul says, this is who you used to be, separated, excluded, hopeless, without God. He says, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Verse 13 could take us right into our Easter celebration these next two Sundays coming up, could it not? 
when Selena and the college students travel all the way to Florida to share the gospel and maybe save a few lives by offering drunk kids rides home, students, um, other young adults. Um, um, they were sharing the gospel both in word and in deed. And as Easter approaches, right, as Easter approaches you and I, this is where our hope comes from in verse 13, because these Gentiles had the opportunity, they were on the outside looking in, and God sent Jesus Christ, and he says, now I'm going to do something really special. Those of you who were far away have been brought near. Have you ever, have you ever been at a point in your life where you did not expect to be included? And somebody or some group did something very lovingly or kind or reached out to you or someone without provocation asked you to be part of their group? When someone reached out to you and said, hey, you know what? Um, why don't you join us? See, this verse 13 is all about relationship. It's all about relationship. We sang, we sang it this morning, right? God relentlessly runs after. God is running after you and me. So, he says, but now you who were far off, you have been brought near. So number two, the point is, um, the point is, but things are different now. Your relationship status with God has changed. You have been brought in, and here are some things. And if I didn't mess them up, it really just happens to be five more things. So number one, we see something here that Jesus is our peace. Jesus is our peace. Here's what Jesus did. You can Anthony read the scripture, so I'm not going to keep rereading it. But he made both groups into one. And he broke down the barrier of the dividing wall. There are some things that Jesus does for you and me, and they are all brought together in this beautiful thing called his church. Church, called out ones. It's not about buildings, it's about people. Um, it is clearly the church, God's called out ones. But God says, I'm going to do something really special. I'm going to make it very clear to you. Even though Jews had the privilege of a covenant relationship with God throughout the Old Testament, they needed Jesus. Uh, when Jesus came, they needed Jesus just like anyone else needed Jesus. Even in the Old Testament, even with the privilege of covenants and living in a theocracy, they were still saved by faith. But there's some sermons there. We'll have to go back into Romans again. And there's some sermons there for that as well. But, but let it suffice to say that the Jews needed Jesus also. But Jesus does something... He does some things. He becomes our peace. Verse 14, for he himself is our peace. Jesus doesn't just give us peace. Jesus doesn't just talk about it. He doesn't just, he is the embodiment of peace. When he died on the cross, a lot of things happened when he rose from the dead. One of those things is he literally becomes your peace and mine as a follower of Jesus. But secondly, we're going to see Jesus brings unity. Jesus brought unity. Jesus brought unity between the Jews and the Gentiles. This is something that people thought would never happen. This was a, a, a very real and palpable hatred that the Jews had for the Gentiles. 
And look, the Gentiles weren't real fond of the Jews either, right? So Jesus brings unity. Jesus not only brings unity, he brings two groups of people into this thing called the church and breaks down barriers and creates the thing that he loves and dies for because it's people, right? This church thing. And brings people together who formerly out on the street hated each other. That's why, that's why black folks and white folks can be in church together. That's why Jewish, Jewish Christians and Gentile Christians can be in church together. That's why when we come through those doors, we have to be careful to obey the Word of God and deal with our mess because this is what Jesus wants inside His church. If I am a follower of Jesus Christ, I do not have the luxury of hostility, hatred, or enmity towards you for any reason. Any reason. Maybe even a good reason. You might not like me for a good reason. And God says, nope, we got to deal with that too. So, Jesus brings unity. Jesus breaks down the wall. C, or number three. Jesus broke down the wall, literally. I always think... Y'all laugh. I think of Ronald Reagan, right? <laughs> Tear down that wall. And the wall in East Germany, right? The 1980-whatever. Yes, I'm dating myself. I'm getting old. But Jesus breaks down. Jesus breaks... And this is not... Everyone thinks of the curtain that was written to in the temple. or But there also was a real wall in, in the temple which Gentiles couldn't go past, even at the risk of death. If we... We could go to the temple, but we couldn't go past the outer court. Um, and, and there would have been a sign there of some sort, right? And there would have been serious punishment, maybe even, maybe even death. Yeah, but he's not talking about that wall. He's not talking about a specific wall. It's that metaphorical wall of enmity, hostility, and hatred. Jesus breaks down that wall. So whether it was religious hatred, ethnic hatred, economic um economic hatred, whatever it was, Jesus breaks down those walls. And he did that for his church and for his own glory. So Jesus breaks down the wall. He does something else. Jesus reunites us. Jesus reunites us with the Father. He also um, quotes Isaiah 57, 19 in verse 7. And he came and preached peace to you who were far away, and peace to those who were near. For through Him, we both have our access in one Spirit to the Father. Also here, I will, always, I will always remind us that we see the Trinity at work here. We have access to the Father through the Holy Spirit because of the shed blood of Jesus Christ on the cross, all in this passage. Amen? That's good stuff, is it not? So we have access Jesus reunites us with God the Father. Better way to say that was we now have access. We have access to our Heavenly Father who loves us, and we learned in chapter 1, He adopts us into His family. He uses family language when He talks about us. So we've been invited into His family. Now we're being invited into God's church. Now we're being invited into God's church with people who used to hate us, but now Jesus is bringing unity and breaking down the barriers. And lastly, he is eliminating hatred. He says, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens. 
So before you did not have, we Gentiles did not have rights and privileges. Now we are citizens of God's kingdom and we have full access to the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit because of Jesus, amen? We have access, we have access to God. We are fully, we are full citizens. You have a passport. You can come and go freely. You can show your identification and you can do and go wherever you want because you are now part of God's kingdom with the saints and are of God's household. Verse 19 says he uses that family language again. In God's church, you are. Jesus is bringing that unity, the access that we have, the rights and privileges that have been restored to us, the elimination of hatred, all, all that good stuff. So uh, number three, together we are the church. I already started sharing uh, A with you. We have, we share a new identity. What happens is both groups become one. That does not mean that Israel ceases to exist or Jews stop being Jews. It means that when Jesus Christ came, we all become one in salvation in Christ. So Jews who come to Christ and Gentiles who come to Christ, we share, we have a shared identity. That's a beautiful thing that Jesus does because he makes it very clear. He makes us each one. He makes us a new person, right? If any man is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. But also Jews and Gentiles have now this shared new identity. B, we have a new household, uh, we have a new home. He uses that word in verse 19. I know I said that already too. God uses that household language when he talks about me and you. Chapter one, he says, we are adopted as God's children. Say, you have a forever family. You now, if you're a follower of Jesus, if you know Christ as your savior, you have a forever family. Then we also see here in verses 19 through 22 that Jesus is the one keeping us together. He says, we've been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. So now we're talking about a building. Now we talked about God's household. We use family language. Now he uses some building language on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. So we have New Testament and Old Testament. The foundation of the message of the apostles and the prophets Christ Jesus himself, that's emphasis there. Christ Jesus in the grammar, himself being the cornerstone. Jesus, that cornerstone that has to be set perfectly level in the right spot in order for the rest of the foundation and the rest of the building to be right. The cornerstone was very important. I know several of our floors and corners in this 100-year-old building are not square, they run uphill, downhill, and around the corner. But not with Jesus. The cornerstone is set, built on the foundation of the prophets and apostles, Jesus being the cornerstone. He says, in whom the whole building is being built together, growing into a holy temple in the Lord. Jesus is keeping us together. We are growing in our faith in Christ, growing in our walk, as a group and individually with this new unity, with this new identity, in this new thing called the church, we are growing together. And he says, 
in verse 22, similarly to what he said in verse 10, and you heard Jalen last week, verse 22, in whom you also are being built together into a dwelling of God in the Spirit. You, people, we, using the metaphor of the building, we are being built together into a dwelling of God in the Spirit. The Holy Spirit resides in believers. The Holy Spirit, we share that. If you know Jesus, the Holy Spirit resides in you. The Holy Spirit resides in me. That's our salvation in Christ. The indwelling of the Holy Spirit is what brings us together. And we together, because the you there is plural, we together are also the church is a dwelling place of God in the Spirit because followers of Jesus who make up the church are what he's talking about. So E, the last point there, um, we are the church. This is a beautiful passage because we see some things practically then about who we are supposed to be, how we are supposed to treat one another um, based on how Jesus treats us. One, he is our peace. He gives us peace. He brings peace. Peace is all in this passage and it all comes from Jesus. So we're supposed to be at peace with one another when we are at peace with God. As a matter of fact, I can't resist. Um, I'm going back to Romans chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Prior to knowing Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you and I were enemies of God. Later in Romans 5, it says that. I never thought of myself as an enemy of God. The Bible said I was. Not any longer, amen. He says, so now I am at peace with God because of Jesus. Romans 5, Ephesians chapter 2. And we are, there's some purpose going on here. There's unity. Jesus died. The walls have been broken down. You and I are called to become this thing called the church together and carry out God's plan and God's purposes for God's glory. So verse 11, we're being built together, I mean verse 22, into a dwelling of God in the Spirit. Verse 10, we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. So these are, this is some of the purpose of the church that God is calling us to be and to do together. We need to have unity in the church. We can't have walls. We can't have enmity and hostility towards one another. It won't work in Jesus' church. So these first three chapters of Ephesians, really they say there's a lot of, a lot of theology in the first three chapters and a lot of practice in, the, in 4, 5, and 6. But honestly, but honestly, even here in chapter 2, we're seeing that God, who God is calling us to be and how he's calling us to treat one another and how important being part of the church is. Some people say, I can be saved, I can know Jesus without being part of his church. I will politely challenge you. I would not question your salvation because I am not one's, anyone's judge, but I would challenge anyone on that point that as a follower of Jesus Christ, you and I are called to be part of His church somewhere, somewhere. I hope it's here because I like most of it. No, I love you all. But, but so, so for God's glory, and if, if that's challenging to you, 
work with it for a little bit, but God is calling every believer to be part of His church somewhere. Amen? Amen. Heavenly Father, Lord,